Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. Today we're going to be listening to a uh, podcast that I had previously posted, uh, but when I went back to add it to a list for all of the podcasts for this particular book that we just finished, I realized that it had been taken down and it was not in iTunes or on Blog Talk Radio. And Blog Talk doesn't usually censor the stuff that I talk about, but we're going to try again to get this one episode up. Um, It is the last recording that we'll do on the four crafts. And it is pages 35 to 47, and it's Latter-day Doctors, A Scientific Medical World. One of the things I like about Blog Talk is they allow me to talk about whatever I want without censoring me or shadow banning me, which is not what YouTube allows me to do. (laughs) So um, I think it was just a technical error happens some kind of glitch so hopefully that's what it is anyway what we're going to do is we're going to listen to the reader program which is 26 minutes long and then i'll get into the reading portion where i'll give my reading and commentary excuse me on monday i wasn't able to do a, a program because i got an a last minute appoint a last minute appointment to do an MRI in Provo at 4 p.m. and I got there about 45 minutes before I was supposed to be there, which was good because there was a bunch of stuff that was messed up on the paperwork. I had to call the medical clinic that I usually go to to get them to fix that and get the right orders in. And then I was in the MRI machine for anywhere between 40 to 50 minutes, I think, which uh, I've never done that before. That was not the greatest experience in the world, but I'm glad that <clears throat> I'm glad that I got it done uh, so that I can move forward in Uh, treatment Uh, it turns out I have two bulged discs in my neck a bulged disc in my upper torso bone spurs multiple bone spurs in my neck degenerative disc disease and arthritis all the way up my spine and my back and minor scoliosis so We're going to start with a cortisone shot in my back next Monday, which I cannot wait for. Um, I wish I could get it sooner because I have been in a lot of pain for many years, and now we know why. I knew that there was problems. I didn't realize it was as bad as it was. Hopefully, I don't need surgery, but uh, cortisone is the next step. So anyway, that's why I wasn't on Monday. And uh, I'm going to try to go to work tonight. I've been off for nine days just because of how much my back has been hurting. Um, Well, we'll see what happens. Anyway, let me uh, start the reader program. 
and uh, then we'll get into the reading and commentary. I think I'm just going to post these as podcasts from now on unless I uh, have somebody that wants to come on. Uh, If you do want to get a hold of me off air, you can always message, message me. On my Facebook, which is uh, facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. That's L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. And uh, I can respond to people that way. But uh, I think right now I'm just going to create these as podcasts and stop, uh, stop worrying about the radio show portion of the program because it used to be something people would call in and talk to me and ask me questions and then I could respond to them or they would make statements that I could respond to and I've always wanted to have a good dialogue and conversation with people but it seems like that's not something that people are into anymore so it is what it is anyway uh Let's get into this reading portion. Thank you so much for listening. Here we go. Latter-day Doctors, The Scientific Medical World, pages 35 to 47 of The Four Crafts. We live in a scientific and electronic age in a world abundant with mechanical, electrical, plastic and chemical products. The medical realm of doctors and pharmacists has gained an unquestionable confidence and trust from mankind in general, which few other professions have been able to achieve. As Dr. Robert Mendelssohn humorously commented, I always laugh when someone from the American Medical Association or some other doctor's organization claims that doctors have no special powers over people. After I finish laughing, I always ask how many people can tell you to take off your clothes and you'll do it. Dr. Mendelssohn has been a licensed MD for over 25 years and understands the nature and overall system of the medical profession. Among his qualifications are, he has been the National Director of Project Head Start's Medical Consultation Service, Chairman of the Medical Licensing Committee for the State of Illinois, and the recipient of numerous awards for excellence in medicine and medical instruction. He currently is Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Community Health in the School of Medicine of the University of Illinois. Listed in the front of his book, Confessions of a Medical Heretic, because of his wide variety of experiences, he has learned both the positive and negative sides to numerous medical problems. Some of his conclusions, realistic though often humorous, have been included throughout this section. A common argument used in defense of today's doctors is that they have more education, knowledge, and experience, as well as better scientific methods and equipment than they had one or two hundred years ago. Certainly that is true, but we need to keep in mind that it is still called the practice of medicine and apparently they are still practicing, hoping to get it right. Along with this additional knowledge comes more frequent use of powerful toxic drugs and chemicals, some of which are proving to be even more injurious and deadly than old-time medicines. Medicine as a religion part of the danger of the medical profession is that it has been elevated to more than an art or a science. It has become a religion. Quoting from Dr. Robert Mendelssohn, we don't say we know our doctors are good, we say we have faith in them. We trust them. Modern medicine can't survive without our faith, because modern medicine is neither an art nor a science. It's a religion. In the Golden Bough, 
Religion is defined as the attempt to gain the favor of powers superior to man, which are believed to direct and control the course of nature and of human life. If people don't spend billions of dollars on the church of modern medicine in order to gain favor with the powers that direct and control human life, what do they spend it on? The first tool you must have is knowledge of the enemy. Once you understand modern medicine as a religion, you can fight it and defend yourself much more effectively than when you think you are fighting an art or a science. Of course, the church of modern medicine never calls itself a church. You will never see a medical building dedicated to the religion of medicine, always the medical arts or medical science. Modern medicine relies on faith to survive. All religions do. So heavily does the church of modern medicine rely on faith that if everyone somehow simply forgot to believe in it for just one day, the whole system would collapse. Confessions P. 13, 14, continuing with his idea that the medical profession has become a religion, Dr. Mendelssohn said, the sacrament of the regular physical exam exposes you to the whole range of dangerous and ineffective procedures. From this act of faith, you receive the absolution of the priest and dash if you're lucky. First you have to give him a full confession, a complete and honest history including things your wife and best friends don't even know. Then he'll pass the ceremonial stethoscope over your vital parts a stethoscope that has a good chance of not working properly. The doctor will check your orifices, further the humiliation by having you give a bottle of urine to the nurse hit you ceremoniously on the knee with a rubber hammer, and pronounce you saved. Or write out your penance in Latin. Or in dash if your sins have been legion and dash send you to a specialist for really sophisticated punishments. This same doctor also makes an interesting comparison between the medieval inquisition of the dark ages and the medical inquisition of today. Like the medieval inquisition, the medical inquisition assumes you're guilty. External acts of health will not sway your doctor. The fact that you can run marathon distances will only make your doctor suspicious of you, and won't convince him that you're healthy. He is more likely to warn you against hurting yourself. Also like the medieval inquisition, all your business with the church is secret and dash even from you. Try getting copies of your medical records. The medieval inquisition was not accountable for its actions. Neither is the medical inquisition. If the medieval inquisition executed or tortured a witness to death, no matter. There was probably something sinful about him anyway. If in the course of your treatment, your doctor kills you because of stupidity, negligence, or just plain malevolence, your family will need the best lawyer money you can buy to have a chance of getting justice. If your doctor kills you because the recognized sacred treatment he uses on you is bogus, though no one will admit it, then the best lawyer in the world won't be able to get justice. This happens thousands of times each day. Most people have some idea of the dictionary definition of the Inquisition, the detection and punishment of heretics. What isn't obvious in the definition is that the Inquisition was actually a very effective tool for enforcing church law and maintaining the church as a cultural and political force. The effect was to keep the church a potent force in people's lives and the life of their culture. You just couldn't get from one end of life or society to the other without paying your dues to the church. Try getting from one end of life to the other without paying your dues to modern medicine. No one passes through without being dipped or splashed with the already mentioned four holy waters of modern medicine, immunizations, fluoridated water, intravenous fluids, 
and silver nitrate. Nevertheless, modern medicine has elevated them to the sacred. To the faithful, not only do these substances carry great power, but it is taboo to question or tamper with them. They are to be treated only with reverence, and they are maintained in their holiness by civil law as well as the Church of Medicine's law. An inquisition makes it easier for a church to discredit and disenfranchise competing churches, simply by declaring the competition's rituals to be heresy. Any group of people, ideas, or practices that can affect health is attacked, including traditional religions and the family. The Inquisition gives modern medicine the power it needs to prosecute the competition with the force of law behind it. Cantarelling nonconformity is very important in all types of inquisitions, nowhere does the Church's Inquisition emerge as clearly as it does through the drugging of children as a means of control. The medieval Inquisition went beyond defining unorthodox beliefs and behavior as a sin and started calling them a crime. Criminals were punished, first by the Church and then by the secular authorities. Modern medicine sets up its inquisition to define behavior which doesn't conform as sick. Then it proceeds to punish the guilty by managing them with drugs. Preventive medicine Dr. Robert Mendelssohn had suffered through some difficult times because of the jabs he takes at his own profession. Such as N-I once stated on the radio that when it comes to caring for children, one grandmother is worth two pediatricians. My department chairman phoned me shortly thereafter and announced his intent to replace me with two grandmothers. However, he is not a lone wolf in his attack against the abuses and dangers of modern medicine. On the acknowledgement page of his book, he lists many doctors whose ideas and beliefs saturate this book and agree with his position. One of the chapters of his book is entitled, If This Is Preventative Medicine, I'll Take My Chances With Disease, and Dr. Mendelssohn recalls, a fellow doctor once wrote and asked me how the medical profession might play an inspirational and practical role in the quest for world peace. My answer was, go out of business. Regarding preventive medicine, it is difficult to understand how by taking a substance that can make a person sick in the first place, can also make him well. Stronger drugs can produce stronger reactions and side effects. But what is worse, the bacteria become more and more resistant to the treatment. As the drugs become stronger, so do the bacteria. Thus, the battle escalates, the germs grow stronger and the patient in his pocketbook grows weaker. Most of the diseases which are killing us nowadays are the result of pollution of our physical, political, economic, community, family, and individual psychological environments. True preventive medicine cannot ignore these issues when addressing a problem of health. Yet doctors declare the problems strictly medical, thus solvable through the sacraments of the Church of Modern Medicine. Dr. Robert Mendelssohn describes how the effects of the hormone des causes vaginal cancer and genital abnormalities. He discovered that in the best premature nurseries, 90% of the premies have partial blindness, whereas in other less modern facilities there is only a 10% ratio of this condition called retrolental fibroplasia. He also discovered problems with some of the wonder drugs, that is, teramycin causes yellow-green teeth and tetracycline deposits in the bones. Radiation treatments formed nodules on the thyroids of his patients. After years of recording such data, instead of dismissing it as so many do, he concluded, I believe that modern medicine's treatments for disease are seldom effective, and that they're often more dangerous than the diseases they're designed to treat. 
I believe the dangers are compounded by the widespread use of dangerous procedures for non-diseases. I believe that more than 90% of modern medicine could disappear from the face of the earth and dash doctors, hospitals, drugs, and equipment and dash any effect on our health would be immediate and beneficial. I believe that modern medicine has gone too far by using in everyday situations extreme treatments designed for critical conditions. So when you go to the doctor, you're seen not as a person who needs help with his or her health, but as a potential market for the medical factory's products. If you make the mistake of going to the doctor with a cold or the flu, he's liable to give you antibiotics, which are not only powerless against colds and flu, but which leave you more likely to come down with worse problems. Ed. P. 11. Drug cartels medical researchers have published countless volumes exposing data and information against many of the medicines, organizations and practices of the medical profession. One researcher, Eustace Mullins, worked over 40 years on one book, Murder by Injection. This profound and exhaustive work was taken mostly from the National Archives in Washington, D.C., where he worked. In the preface of his book Mullins begins to expose the organization and workings of the American Medical Association, AMA, I discovered that these physicians, despite their great power, were themselves subjected to very strict controls over every aspect of their professional lives. These controls, surprisingly enough, were not wielded by any state or federal agency, although almost every other aspect of American life is now under the absolute control of the bureaucracy. The physicians have their own autocracy and dash a private trade association, the American Medical Association. This group, which is headquartered in Chicago, Illinois, had gradually built up its power until it assumed total control over medical schools and the accreditation of physicians. I was able to document the shocking record of these cold-blooded tycoons who not only plan and carry out famines, economic depressions, revolutions and wars, but who also find their greatest profits in their manipulations of our medical care. The cynicism and malice of these conspirators is something beyond the imagination of most Americans. They deliberately mulked our people of millions of dollars each year through charitable organizations and then use these same organizations as key groups to bolster their medical monopoly. Fear and intimidation are the basic techniques by which the conspirators maintain their control over all aspects of our health care as they ruthlessly crush any competitor who challenges their profits. As in other aspects of that behavioral control over the American people, their most constantly used weapon against us is their employment of federal agents and federal agencies to carry out their intrigues. The proof of this operation may be the most disturbing revelation of my work. Murder by injection, Mullins, forward, 9x. In order to better understand Eustace Mullins, his qualifications and background, we quote from the About the Author page in his book, Murder by Injection, in 40 years of dedicated investigative research, Eustace Mullins has drawn considerable return fire. He was kept under daily surveillance by agents of the FBI for 32 years. No charges were ever placed against him. He is the only person ever fired from the staff of the Library of Congress for political reasons. He is the only writer who has had a book burned in Europe since 1945. After serving 38 months in the U.S. Army Air Force during World War II, Eustace Mullins was educated at Washington and Lee University, Ohio State University, University of North Dakota, and New York University. He later studied art at the Escuela de Bellas Artes, San Miguel de Allende, Mexico, and the Institute of Contemporary Arts, 
Washington, D.C. while studying in Washington. He was asked to go to St. Elizabeth's Hospital to talk to the nation's most famous political prisoner, Zra Pound. The outstanding literary figure of the 20th century, Pound had seen three of his pupils awarded the Nobel Prize, while it was denied to him because of his pronouncements as a Native American patriot. Not only did Eustace Mullins become his most active protege, he is the only person who keeps Zra Pound's name alive today, through the work of the Zra Pound Institute of Civilization, which was founded shortly after the poet's death in Venice. With the present work, Eustace Mullins hopes to end a 3,000-year blackout behind which the enemies of humanity have operated with impunity in carrying out their satanic program. It is very late in the history of our civilization. This book is written solely with the goal of renewing our ancient culture, and of bringing it to new heights. About the author, Murder by Injection, Eustace Mullins was not the only one who discovered that closely connected with and interspersed throughout the armor, are many of the same individuals who run big cartels of drugs, oil, banking, etc. All these connections look like a spider web, taking on the appearance and functions of a huge closed-knit family. Mullins researched and compiled biographies of most of those involved in the major drug companies, that is, thus we find that the world's number one drug firm has two directors who are partners of J.P. Morgan Company, one who is director of Rockefeller's Chase Manhattan Bank and one who is director of the Rothschild Bank, manufacturers Hanover. Most of the directors are connected with vital defense industries, and interlock with other defense firms. On the board of TRW, of which Robin Mettler is chairman, is William H. Chrome George, former chairman of Alco, and Martin Feldstein, former economic advisor to President Reagan. The major banks, defense firms, and prominent political figures interlock with the CIA and the drug firms. Mullins expose on the executives of the ten leading drug companies all read about the same. In this age of medicalized politics, doctors and politicians are bedfellows. Since the field of medicine and drugs is one of the most lucrative professions in the world, it naturally draws the most greedy financial eagles into the nest. Eustace Mullins publicly identified one of the main characters, the Merlin who was to wave his magic wand and bring about this dramatic development in the medical profession turned out to be none other than the richest man in the world, the insatiable monopolist, John D. Rockefeller. Fresh from his triumph of organizing his gigantic oil monopoly, a victory as well-blooded as any ancient Roman triumph, Rockefeller, the creature of the House of Rothschild and its Wall Street emissary, Jacob Skiff, realized that a medical monopoly might bring him even greater profits than his oil trust. In order to create a successful medical monopoly, one must dispose of most or all competition, legal or illegal, enlisting every possible means to achieve that end. Some of those who have especially felt the crunch of this scam have been the believers in the curing capabilities of vitamins, herbs, and home remedies. Without proof or evidence, there have been some occasions reported where herbs and other natural cures have been seized and destroyed and labeled as dangerous substances, although no one has ever reportedly died from the proper usage of those natural preparations. On the other hand, thousands of people have suffered side effects, and even death from drugs distributed by armor-approved manufacturers and distributors. What is worse, the drug cartel has enlisted the police powers of the federal government, the Federal Trade Commission, the Post Office Department, the Food and Drug Administration and the U.S. Public Health Service to bring down their warfare upon their health practitioners, in some cases even arresting them for selling or giving away booklets advising the taking of vitamins and natural herbs.
Eustace Mullins reported, often striking at night, in groups of heavily armed SWAT teams, the federal agents broke down doors to capture elderly women and their stocks of herbal teas. Many of these housewives and retired persons carried small amounts of vitamins and health preparations which they furnished to neighbors or friends at cost. They had no funds to fight the massed agencies of the federal government, who themselves were merely patsies for the drug trust. In many cases, the victims lost their homes, their life savings and all other attachable assets, because they had posed a threat to the medical monopoly. It was the most blatant use of the police powers by the big reach to protect their profitable enterprises. To this day, most of these victims have no idea that they were not off by the Rockefeller monopoly. Everyone knows that most prescription drugs are overpriced, potentially dangerous, and can cause side effects, yet the powerful drug cartels are usually protected and winked at by federal agencies supposedly responsible for the protection of the public. Have these big drug cartels ever been investigated by government agencies under the provisions of the Sherman Antitrust Act? Yet they are owned and operated by prodigious international financial monopolies. Instead of our governments protecting the citizens, they seem to be protecting these huge cartels. When a lawyer loses a criminal case, his client usually ends up behind bars. But when a doctor loses a patient, he is buried. Excessive concern with the money available from their clients and patients, many doctors and lawyers prey upon the fears of the uneducated, misinformed and gullible public. The Medicare and Medicaid programs have proved to be a windfall for most doctors who can more easily collect for their services. In the year 1982, Medicare paid out $48 billion and Medicaid $38 billion. More than a decade later it has reached unimaginable amounts and dash goodly portions of which are illegal or unreasonable profits for doctors. Mullins again reported, the New York Times reported that in 1985, the cost of health care per person in the United States was $1,800 per year. In England, $800 per year. In Japan, $600 per year. Yet both England and Japan rank higher on the scale of quality of medical care than the United States. What is the $1,300 per person difference? It is the $300 billion per year looting of the American public by the medical monopoly in overcharges, criminal syndicalist activities, and the operations of the drug trust. The great drug cartels are guilty of three major criminal injustices upon the American people, a. They drain the wealth and earnings of the public, b. They create a constant need for more drugs, and c. Their drugs cause side effects and other related illnesses that can be fatal. The criminal syndicalists are now looting the American nation of $1 trillion each year, of which about one-third, more than $300 billion per year, represents the profitable depredations of the drug trust and its medical subsidiaries. Before a sustained effort to combat these depredations can be mounted, Americans must make every effort to regain their health. America became the greatest and most productive nation in the world, because we had the healthiest citizens in the world. When the Rockefeller Syndicate began its takeover of our medical profession in 1910, our citizens went into a sharp decline. Today, we suffer from a host of debilitating ailments, both mental and physical, nearly all of which can be traced directly to the operations of the chemical and drug monopoly, and which pose the greatest threat to our continued existence as a nation. There are several other problem areas that should be discussed in learning more about the medical profession. Those briefly mentioned will be, hospitals, drugs, 
fluorides, aluminum, vaccinations, cancer, operations, and chemical pollutants. Mm. Okay. <clears throat> now we'll get into the reading portion of the program. soon as I get there. All right, here we go. Latter-day Doctors, A Scientific Medical World, pages 35 to 47 of The Four Crafts. We live in a scientific and electronic age in a world abundant with me mechanical, electrical, plastic, and chemical products. The medical realm of doctors and pharmacists has gained an unquestionable confidence and trust from mankind in general, which few other professions have been able to achieve. <clears throat> Excuse me. As Dr. Robert Mendelssohn humorously commented, quote, I always laugh when someone from the American Medical Association or some other doctor's organization claim that doctors have no special powers over people. After I finish laughing, I always ask how many people can tell you to take off your clothes and you'll do it. And quote, Confessions of a Medical Heretic, page 123. Dr. Mendelssohn has been a licensed medical doctor for over 25 years and understands the nature and overall system of the medical profession. Among his qualifications are that he has been the National Director of Project Head Start's Medical Consultant Service, Chairman of the Medical Licensing Committee for the State of Illinois, and the recipient of numerous awards for excellence in medicine and medical instruction. He currently is associated as an associate professor of preventative medicine and community health in the School of Medicine of the University of Illinois. Listed in the front of his book, Confessions of a Medical Heretic. So that's uh, part of the introduction of that book. Because of his wide variety of experiences, he has learned both the positive and negative sides to numerous medical problems. Some of his conclusions, realistic th through, though often humorous, have been included throughout this section. A common argument used in defense of today's doctors is that they have more education, knowledge, and experience, as well as better scientific methods and equipment than they had one or two hundred years ago. Certainly that is true. But we need to keep in mind that it is still called the practice of medicine, and apparently they still are practicing, hoping to get it right. Along with this additional knowledge comes more frequent use of powerful toxic drugs and chemicals, some of which are pr proving to be even more injurious and deadly than old-time medicines. Medicine as a religion, part of the danger of medical of the medical profession is that it has been elevated to more than an art or a science. 
it has become a religion. Quoting from Dr. Robert Mendelssohn, quote, We don't say we know our doctors are good. We, we say we have faith in them. We trust them. Modern medicine can't survive without our faith because modern medicine is neither an art nor a science. It is a religion. In the Golden Bowl, bow, religion is defined as the attempt to gain the favor of powers superior to man, which are believed to direct and control the course of nature and of human life. End quote. If people don't spend billions of dollars on the Church of Modern Medicine in order to gain favor with the powers that direct and control human life, what do they spend it on? The first tool, tool you must have is knowledge of the enemy. Once you understand modern medicine as a religion, you can fight it and defend yourself much more effectively than when you think you are fighting an art or a science. Of course, the Church of Modern Medicine never calls itself a church. You'll never see a medical building de dedicated to the religion of, of medicine always the medical arts or medical science. Modern medicine relies on faith to survive. All religions do. So heavily does the church of modern medicine rely on faith that if everyone somehow simply forgot to believe in it, for just one day the whole system would collapse. End quote. Confessions of a medical heretic. And that's in the introduction on pages uh, well, Roman numerals 8 through Roman numerals 14. Continuing with this idea that the medical profession has become a religion, Dr. Mendelssohn said, the sacrament of, of regular physical exam exposes you to a whole range of dangerous and ineffective pr procedures. From this act of faith, you receive the absolution of the priest, if you're lucky. First, you have to give him a full confession, a complete and honest history, including things your wife and best friends don't even know. Then he'll pass the ceremonial stethoscope over your vital parts, a stethoscope that has a good chance of not working properly. The doctor will check your orifices, further the humiliation by having you give him a bottle of urine to the nurse, hit you ceremoniously on the knee with a rubber hammer, and pronounce you saved. <laughs> I was just thinking that, yeah, they do ask for the urine samples, but sometimes they ask for the stool samples, and sometimes they want to get your blood, too. Anyway, continuing on. Write out your penance in Latin, or so they write out your penance in Latin, or if your sins have been legion, send you to a specialist for really sophisticated punishments. And that is uh, Confessions of a Medical Heretic, page 142. I'm actually glad for the specialists, though. I mean, I know that we need to beware of of certain things, but I think that they do help. Uh, my problem with modern medicine is that they are profit-driven. 
they don't really care about you. They care about your money and what they can get out of you. So a lot of times they will have cures, but they will not let you have those cures because it would be less expensive to just cure you. Uh, They want to keep you on the hook as long as they can um, to make money off of you. So they're not curing you, they're just treating you. So when I was talking to my doctor today and he was talking about the cortisol shot for my degenerative disc disease and my bone spurs and my bulged discs and all of that, which I just found out about today. I said, isn't this cortisol shot just putting a Band-Aid on a problem? And uh, he gave me a grin and a slight chuckle and kept talking about the cortisol shot. And you know what? I'm going to get it. Um, I'm going to hope that the inflammation will go down so that I don't have as much pain because it's getting to be debilitative. Um, I, it hurts to drive it. I'm in, I'm in pain all the time, but like when I go to work and I'm a truck driver, I'm in pain and I'll do it for money because we need money. My family needs my support. I can't be disabled, you know, so I'll deal with the pain, but, um, hopefully the cortisol shot will work and, uh, I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, continuing on. This same doctor also makes an interesting comparison between the medieval inquisition of the Dark Ages and the medical inquisition of today. Like the medieval inquisition, this is a quote by Dr. Mendelssohn, like the medieval inquisition, the the medical inquisition assumes you're guilty. External acts of health will not sway your doctor. The fact that you can run in marathon distances will only make your doctor suspicious of you and won't convince him that you're healthy. He's more likely to warn you against hurting yourself. Also, like the, medi- the medieval inquisition, all your business with the church is secret, even from you. Try getting copies of your medical records. Um, you know, I don't necessarily agree with this because, um, I mean, I don't get copies of my medical records, but I've had um, on my patient portal, I can see my x-rays a lot of the time. And the report that the MRI specialist gave to my doctor, my doctor printed it out for me so that I could take it with me and read it. So, I don't know. I mean, I guess, I don't know how, I mean, I think that this was something that was a problem 20 years ago before Ogden Kraut died, who's the author of this book. But I think things are getting more transparent, but probably not as transparent as they should be. Anyway, that's my opinions. It's my thoughts. Continuing on, the medieval inquisition was not accountable for its actions, neither is the medical inquisition. If the medieval inquisition executed or tortured a witness to death, no matter, there was probably something sinful about him anyways. And if you're, if, 
if in the course of your treatment, your doctor kills you because of stupidity, neglects, no, I'm sorry, negligence, or just plain um, maleficence, your family will need the best lawyer money can buy to have a chance of getting justice. If your doctor kills you, because of the recognized sacred treatment he uses on you as bogus through no one though no one else admitted it then the best lawyer in the world won't be able to get justice this happens to thousands this happens thousands of times each day most people have some idea of the dictionary definition of inquisition the Hold on. It's the detection of and punishment of heretics. What isn't obvious is the definition is that the Inquisition was actually a very effective tool for enforcing church law and maintaining the church as a culture and political force. The effect was to keep the church a potent force in people's lives and the and the life of the culture, you just couldn't get from one end of life or society to the other without paying your dues, paying your dues to the church. Trying to get one end of life on the to the other without paying your dues to modern medicine. No one passes through without being dipped or splashed with that already mentioned four holy waters of modern medicine. Immunizations, fluoridization, intravenous fluids, and silver nitrate. Nevertheless, modern medicine has elevated them to the sacred To the faithful, not only do these substances carry great power, but it is taboo to question or tamper with them. They are to be pre-treated only with reverence. I'm sorry, they are to be treated only with reverence, and they are maintained in their holiness by civil law as, as well as the Church of Modern Medicine's law. The Inquisition makes it easier for a church to discredit and defranchise competing churches simply by declaring the competition's ritual to be heresy. Any group or people, ideas, or practices that can affect health is attacked, including traditional religions and the family. The more inquisition gives modern medicine, the de- or the power it needs to prosecute the competent with the with the force of law behind it. And that's from the last uh, same book that we just quoted from, but it's on page one hundred and fifty one to one hundred and fifty three. Controlling nonconformity is very important in all types of inquisitions. Quote, now here does the church's inquisition emerge as clearly as it does through the drugging 
of children as a means of control. The, the medieval Inquisition went beyond defining or unorthodox beliefs and behavior as a sin and started calling them a crime. Criminals were punished. The first criminals were punished first by the church and then by the secular authorities. Modern science sets up its inquisition to define behavior which doesn't conform as sick. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to take a break from reading this. We're only at 34%, and I'll be right back. And for you that are listening, it'll be instantaneous. So I am dying. I'm tired. And um, I think I'm just going to take a short nap, and then I'll come right back to it. I, for you, it won't be very long. But, um, yeah. I'll be right back. Okay, I'm back. All right, let's see here. Then it proceeds to punish the guilty by managing them with drugs. End quote. Confessions of a Medical Heretic, page 35. Preventative Medicine. Dr. Robert Mendelssohn has suffered through some difficult times because of the jabs he takes at his own profession, such as, quote, I once started, start, stated on the radio that when it comes for caring to caring for children, one grandmother is worth two pediatricians. My department chair phoned me shortly thereafter and announced his intent to replace me with two grandmas. End quote from that same book, page 163. However, he is not a lone wolf in his attack against the abuses and dangers of modern medicine. On the acknowledgement page of his book, he listed many doctors whose ideas and beliefs saturate this book and agree with his position. One of the chapters of his book is entitled, If This is Preventative Medicine, I'll Take My Chances with Disease. And Dr. Mendelssohn recalls, quote, A fellow doctor once wrote and asked me how the medical profession might play an inspirational and practical role in the quest for world peace. My answer was, go out of business. End quote from the same book, page 141. Regarding preventative medicine, it is difficult to understand how, by taking a substance that can make a person sick in the first place, can also make him well. Stronger drugs can produce stronger reactions and side effects. But what is worse, the bacteria become more and more resistant to the treatment? As drugs become stronger, so do, ba- so do bacteria. Thus, the battle escalates and the germ grows stronger and the patient and his pocketbook grow weaker. Most of the diseases which are killing us nowadays are the result of pollution of our physical, political, economic, community, family, and individual psychological environments. 
true preventative medicine cannot ignore these issues when addressing a problem of health, yet doctors declare the problem strictly medical, thus solvable through the sacrament, sacraments of the Church of Modern Medicine. End quote from the same book, page 150. Dr. Robert Mendelson describes how the effects of the hormones DES cause vaginal cancer and genital abnormalities. He discovered that the best premature nurseries, that in the best premature nurseries, 90% of the preemies have partial blindness. Whereas in other less modern facilities, there is only a 10% ratio of these conditions called retrolental fibroplasia. It also discovered problems with some of the wonder drugs like, I can't say these words, teramicin, which causes yellow-green teeth and tetracycline deposits in the bones. Okay, I had to take a break again. My three-year-old had really bad gas, and he was in a lot of pain. And uh, so I had to take care of him. It's actually 5 a.m. on November 10th, which is Thursday. So I didn't drop the podcast when I wanted to. Um, So, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. In a messed up sort of way. So what I found out yesterday with my bone spurs and my bulging discs and my arthritis is that for one condition, I need to rest in order to make it or help it, the inflammation and all of the mess to like go down. But then one of the other things that I have to deal with is the arthritis when I go to sleep, when I wake up, um, it's like it makes you tight and it hurts to get up so it's like I need to rest in order to make one go down and then the other one gets exacerbated by resting (laughs) it's a mess I actually go off on a tangent real quick um I was uh I've been a semi-truck driver for 27 years Um, I actually started driving a farm truck back in 94, and 95 is when I got my CDL, and then I was on a mission starting in 1997 until 1998, so I was out for a year, and I was really sick, and they finally sent me home, I won't go through the whole mess of what happened, but... Um, so for that time I wasn't a truck driver anyway. And then in 98, when I, when I went home, I finally got better. And then that's when I started my over the road trucking career. Cause I had a CDL because I was 
trained as a diesel mechanic and I didn't have anywhere to go to live and um, I just I went over the road I always wanted to do that so I was a truck driver over the road from 98 to 2003 and then I drove belly dumps from 2003 to 2008 and then I was an oil field worker for two years and then a dump truck driver and then I moved to Florida and did directional drilling uh, driving uh, class A CDL equipment step decks hauling um, directional drilling equipment and digging ditches and doing manual labor which I loved I I enjoyed that and then um, and then you know I went back over the road for several years and then I hauled the mail uh, from distribution center down to Emory Carbon and Emory counties in Utah and then I have been driving belly dumps since like 2016 again so um Part of my problem is I'm 45 years old, so there's wear and tear with age, but being in a semi-truck hasn't helped. <laughs> um, so hopefully um, on Monday I'll get my cortisone shot and um, that'll help. Hopefully, really, I'm tired of being in pain all the time. Anyway, let's get back into this reading. Like I said, it's 5, it's actually 5.20 a.m. on Thursday. And we're only at 45% through the reading, so. Radiation treatments form nodules on the thyroids of his patients. After years of recording such data... Instead of dismissing it as so many do, he concluded, quote, I believe that modern medicine's treatments for disease are seldom effective and that they're often more dangerous than the diseases they're designed to treat. I believe the dangers are compounded by the widespread use of dangerous procedures for nine diseases. I believe that more... More than 90% of modern medicine would disappear from the face of the earth. Doctors, hospitals, drugs, and equipment, and the effect on our health would be immediate and beneficial. I believe that modern medicine has gone too far by using in everyday situation extreme treatments designed for critical conditions. So when you go to the doctor, you're not seen as a person who needs help with his or her health, but as a potential market for the medical factory products. If you make the mistake of going to a doctor with a cold or a flu, he's liable to give you antibiotics, which are not only powerless against colds and flus, but which leave you more likely to come down with worse problems. End quote. And that was from the introduction of the heretic book that we've been quoting from uh, page XI, so that'd be 11 in the introduction. Drug cartels. 
Medical researchers have published countless volumes exposing data and information against many of the medicines, organizations, practices of the medical profession. One researcher, Eustace Millens, worked over 40 years on a book, Murder by Injection. This profound and exhaustive work was taken mostly from the National Archives in Washington, D.C., where he worked. In the preface of his book, Mullins begins to expose the organization and workings of the American Medical Association, or the AMA. I discovered that these physicians, despite their great power, were themselves subject to very strict controls over every aspect of their professional lives. These controls, surprisingly enough, were not willed wielded by any state or federal agency, although almost every other aspect of American life is now under the absolute control of the bureaucracy. The physicians have their own autocracy and a private trade association, the American Medical Association. This group, which is headquartered in Chicago, Illinois, had gradually built up its power until it assumed total control over medical schools and the accreditation of physicians. I was able to document the shocking record of these cold-blooded tycoons who not only plan and carry out famines, economic depressions, revolutions, and war, but who also find their greatest profits in the manipulation of our medical care. The cynicism and malice of these conspirators is something beyond the imagination of most Americans. They desperately mulk, or basically what mulked means is they extract money. Um, They desperately extract money our people have mulked people out of, basically, uh, millions of dollars each year through charitable organizations, then use these same organizations as key groups to bolster their medical monopoly. Fear and intimidation are the basic techniques techniques by which the conspirators maintain their control over all aspects of our healthcare as they ruthlessly crush any competitor who challenges their profits, as in other aspects of the behavioral control over the American people, their most constantly used weapon against us is their employment of federal agents and federal agencies to carry out their intrigues the proof of this operation may be the most disturbing revelation of my work end quote murder by injections injection by Mullins and that's in the Ford on pages IX through X that would be 9 and 10 of the introduction in order to better understand Eustace Mullins, his qualifications and background, we quote from the about the author page on his book or in his book Murder by Injection. Quote, in 40 years of dedicated investigative research, Eustace Mullins has drawn considerable return fire. He has kept under 
he was kept under daily surveillance by agents of the FBI for 32 years. No charges were ever placed against him. He is the only person ever fired from the staff of the Library of Congress for political reasons. He is the only writer who has had a book burned in Europe since 1945. After serving 38 months in the U.S. Army Air Force during World War II, Eustace Mullins was educated at Washington and Lee University, Ohio State University, the University of North Dakota, and New York University. He later studied art at the Usilla de Bola Arts in San Miguel de Allende, Mexico. I'm sorry if I'm butchering that. If you guys know how to say that, I don't know. In the Institutes of Contemporary Arts in Washington, D.C. While studying in Washington, he was asked to go to St. Elizabeth's Hospital to talk to the nation's most famous political prisoner, Ezra Pound. The outstanding literary figure of the 20th century, Pound had seen three of his pupils awarded the Nobel Prize, while it was denied him because of his pronouncements as a Native American patriot. Not only did Eustace Mullins become his most active protege, he is the only person who keeps Ezra Pound's name alive today. Through the work of Ezra Pound Institute of Civilization, which was founded shortly after the poet's death in Venice. With the pre- present work, Eustace Mullins helps to end a 3,000-year blackout which, behind which the enemies of humanity have operated with impunity in carrying out their satanic program. It is very late in the history of our civilization. This book is written solely with the goal of renewing our ancient culture and of bringing it to new heights. Anyway, that's a quote about the author in the book Murder by Injection by Eustace Mullins. I was just sitting here thinking about how God, back in my over-the-road trekking days, he told me to read books out loud and record them and I stuttered a lot and I had a really hard time reading but it just kept and I didn't have a stuttering problem when I was just talking but reading books it was really really difficult I know that that's something that I'm self-conscious of now um how hard it is for me to push the words out and to read but back then it was ridiculous and I had no there was no podcasts back then there was no thought of being able to do these type of things you know and but God knew that there would be a time when I would do this work that I'm doing now or I would use these books as a springboard to talk about the gospel and talk about things that are going on in these last days and also to share my witness and talk about the things that God has shown me and 
as hard as it is for me to read these as as clearly as I wish that I could, um, I am grateful for the the fact that Heavenly Father, for many years, told me to read books out loud onto a device, and then and then what I would do is record it, and then I would listen to it later. And I hate my voice. I really do. I think most people, when they when they um, hear their voice on recording, they're like, oh, that doesn't sound like me or whatever. And I know, because we hear, when we're talking, we hear ourselves in our head and in our ears, and it affects the way we hear ourselves. But other people don't hear us as we hear ourselves. But now that there's recordings we can hear what we sound like to other people and it's different from the way that we sound in our own head and uh i just i hate the way i talk i hate how slow i talk um but this is the way god made me and this is what god wanted me to do so actually when i was in um in college I used to uh, I used to read the textbooks on uh, recorded devices and give my thoughts as I was reading the textbooks, and it was just for my own personal um, study. And back then, when I lived in St. George, hauling uh, driving belly dumps for Barney Trucking, I. Um, I would actually go to work every other day and I would sleep every other day and I would go to school every single day. So my days were like anywhere from 36 to 40 hours long. And at the end of one day when I was in school all day, I would go and I would drive from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. And then I would go home and I would shower and get dressed and go to uh, go to the college at Dixie Dixie State. I don't know what they call it now. Like, it's got a new name. It's a university now. It was a college before. But anyway, but um, that was one of my practices, and I like doing that because I would read it and then I would listen to it while I was driving at night, and I would retain a lot of information of what I had read by reviewing it through listening listening to it on the stereo in the semi-truck through the aux line and that helps prepare me to being able to reading uh these books on these podcasts and i think that like i know i've seen the lists where i i was in fifth place on one of the Mormon podcast um, lists, uh, fifth place out of 25 of the top 25 podcasts, and I have no idea how I got up there because I don't think this is a very good podcast. <laughs> um, but I think the information's good, and I think my voice. And how slowly I talk and how hard it is for me to to push the words out. I think that that, like, 
shallow people, they won't listen to it. But people who are interested in the information, they will listen to it. And then people that really want to utilize this um, this thing that I'm creating, that I've been creating on an ongoing basis for many years, that as I put the links to the books up or to where I'm reading in the chapters, that people as they read along... Um, or even if they just grab the podcast so they can get the links and read it for themselves, I think it's beneficial to people. And I think that people who really want to learn can can learn from it, you know? And I think it's beneficial, and I'm glad to be able to do it. So, anyway, it is 5.36 in the morning, and my family gets up in... 24 minutes and we're at 68% of the reading today oh and there goes my co-driver so I live right on a highway outside of town and um, there's only a couple of trucks that work over here and my co-driver actually starts this time in the morning if I'm not working he gets to work at 5, and he usually drives by about 5.30, so he just drove by my house. So, anyway, all right, and I'm living, I'm in the living room of my home, so. All right, let's see here. Eustace Mullins was not the only one who discovered that closely connect, discovered that closely connected with the interspersed throughout the M, the AMA, American Medical Association, are many of the same individuals who run who run big cartels of drugs, oil, banking, etc. All of these connections look like a spider web taking on the appearance and function of a huge close-knit family. Mullins researched and compiled biographies of most of those involved in the major drug companies. Thus, we find that the, num- the world's number one drug firm has two directors who are, part- who are partners of J.P. Morgan Company, one who is a director of Rockefeller Chase Manhattan Bank, and one who is a director of the Rothschild Bank. Manufacturers Hanover, most of the directors, Directors are connected with vital defense industries and interlock with other defense firms on the board of TRW, of which Reuben Mettler is chairman, is William H. Crome, George, William H. Crome, George, former chair member of Alcoa, and Martin Feldstein, former economic advisor to President Reagan, the major banks, defense firms, and prominent political figures interlock with the CIA and the drug firms. And that's from Mullen's book on page 230. Mullen's exposed expose on the executives of the 10 leading drug companies all read about the same in this age of medicalized 
politics, doctors and politicians are bedfellows, since the field of medicine and the drug, drugs is one of the most lucrative professions in the world, it naturally draws the most greedy financial eagles into the nest. Eustace Mullins publicly identified one of the main characters, the Merlin, who was to wave his magic wand and bring about this dramatic development in, me in the medical profession, turned out to be none other than the richest man in the world, the insatiable monopolist John D. Rockefeller. Fresh from his triumph of organizing his gigantic oil monopoly, a victory as well-blooded as any ancient Roman triumph, Rockefeller, the creature of the House of Rothschild and its Wall Street emissary, Jacob Schiff, realized that a medical monopoly might bring him even more profits than his oil trusts. End quote from Mullen's book, page 8. And that's murder by injection. In order to create a successful medical monopoly, one must dispose of most or all comp competition, legal or illegal, enlisting every possible means to archive that end. Some of those who have especially felt the crunch of this scam have been believers in the curing capabilities of vitamins, herbs, and home remedies. Without proof or evidence, there have been some occasions reported where herbs and other natural cures have been seized and destroyed and labeled as dangerous substances, although no one has ever reportedly died from the proper usage of natural preparations. On the other hand, thousands of people have suffered side effects and even death from drugs distributed by the American Medical Association approved manufacturers and distributors. What is worse, the drug cartel has enlisted the, pow the police powers of the federal government, the Federal Trade Commission, the Post Office Department, the Food and Drug Administration, and the U.S. Public Health Service to bring down their warfare upon health practitioners, in some cases even arresting them for selling or giving away booklets advising the taking of vitamins and natural herbs. Eustace Millens reported, often striking at night in groups of heavily armed SWAT teams, the federal agents broke down doors to capture elderly women and their stocks of herbal teas. Many of these housewives and retired persons carry small amounts of vitamins and healthy preparations which they furnished at neighbors to neighbors at, or friends at cost. They had no funds to fight the massed agencies of the federal government who themselves were merely patsies for the drug, for the drug trust. In many cases, the victims lost their homes and their life savings and all other attachable assets because they had posed a threat to the medical monopoly. It was the most blatant use of of the police powers by the big rich to protect their profitable in enterprises. To this day, most of these vitamins have no idea. I'm sorry. Most of these victims 
have no idea that they were knocked off by Rock by the Rockefeller monopoly. End quote. Murder by injection by Mullins. Page 38. Everyone knows that most prescription drugs are overpriced, potentially dangerous, and can cause side effects, yet the powerful drug cartels are usually protected and winked at by federal agencies supposedly responsible for the protection of the public. And like, if you go overseas or even up to Canada or down into Mexico, you can get most of these drugs for way cheaper than you can in the United States. One of the problems with going into Mexico to get your drugs is they'll cut it with other things. So you're not getting a, a pure pharmaceutical that you might think, you know, you're going to save, save some money on. But then in other countries, they don't sell the drugs for as much. So they're bilking the uh, extorting money from U.S. citizens, and they say, well, it's for research and development. I spend probably $2,000 a month on medications in my family. It's, it's ridiculous. If we didn't have my wife's really good insurance, like... I wouldn't be able to get the drugs that I need for the problems that I have because uh, back in, I think it was 2000, November of 2009, I spent four hours in a frack pond uh, because I was by myself and I accidentally fell in. I, I like lost my footing when I was draining. I threw a four-inch hose down into the, uh, which is a pretty heavy hose, down into the frack pond and I was pulling out the water into my tanker truck and moving it to another location and I had pulled out a lot of the water and the chemicals they float up on top of the the water there's lots of chemicals in fracking a lot of really bad stuff that's very caustic acidic um just poisonous chemicals and I fell in and it was only about four inches deep in the mud and the water but the chemicals went in through my feet and I when I fell in I like went in and it got all over my body and there was no showers there you know it was I think I fell in around midnight in the middle of November. It was freezing cold. I'm lucky I didn't die of hypothermia. And it was about four in the morning when I was finally able to figure out how to get out. I realized I had a key in my pocket and I used that key to puncture the liner of the frack pond so I could make holes so I could pull myself out, which I got in trouble for. Like the safety guy and the company guys were like, oh, you destroyed the liner. And like the reason I was pulling the 
the chemicals out is because they were getting ready to pull the tarp in over on itself and bury it, which is what they do. And it contain uh, like anything that's left in there, like it won't leak leach out <clears throat> the way they fold it over on itself and bury it for the frack pond. But like they had a problem with me cutting with my key the liner, because uh, if you don't know, it's pla- there's like it's really thick plastic, um, like a tarp. And the sides of the pit are usually at about 45 degree angle. And then when you're wet, you can't just crawl up it. It's like a slip and slide. And back then I was like 400 pounds and I couldn't climb up the hose that was down in the pit. So anyway, so I cut through this tarp liner to get out and then the next 30 days after that happened, um, I had rashes all over my whole body. And the doctor said that the chemicals were actually coming out through my my skin. And I lost over 100 pounds in 30 days. And they were concerned that I was going to... Um, that my body was was eating fat and muscle tissue. And it wasn't my body, it was these chemicals in my body that was eating this fat and mus- muscle tissue. And um, it caused a lot of problems for me and my health. And... I don't know what to do about that other than, you know, when the problems arise that I use medications and I do use a lot of herbal stuff as well. Um, but the medications that I take and that, um, my family, we take like, that's like two grand a month. And I wouldn't even know how to pay for it unless we had insurance. But if I lived in another country, you know, I could get it for way cheaper. And they say that they boost the price in the United States so that they can do research and development. I, I just don't know. It's it's so messed up. But it, I, I can only see it from one angle. And maybe I'm just not seeing it right. But it doesn't seem right that that were charged so much in the United States for drugs that all around the rest of the world, those are people are not charged as much for. And I think that it should be less for everyone, but I don't know. Anyway, that's a no, I guess that's probably another topic to talk about another time. Anyway, we're at 87% and I have nine minutes before my, family's supposed to start waking up so let me get let me get to this have these big drug cartels ever been investigated by the government agencies under the provisions of the Sherman Antitrust Act yet they are owned and operated by prodigious international financial monopolies instead our governments protecting the citizens 
of our governments protecting the citizens, they seem to be protecting these huge cartels. And like, that's the case. Like, we're supposed to have all of these rights and live in this constitutional republic. We don't. Our government says things to us and they tell us how they're going to do this and that for us. But they are paid by lobbyists. Like, they get their pay from the taxpayers, but they get a ton more money from these lobbyists and these financial schemes because they're in government. They don't work for us. Like, the local guy, he might work for us. The big state guys, they don't work for us. They might try to do certain things to keep their job because voting... You know, uh, they want to keep their constituents happy. But the federal guys, they work for these big monopolies. And uh, we just had our midterm elections just the other day. I think it was November 8th, if I'm not mistaken. So, I, Tuesday, maybe it was Monday, I don't know. But um, the, a lot of these elections are stolen. They're, they're paid for and stolen by these individuals who are getting into power to make money for these rich lobbyists. These massive multi-billion dollar companies that can just pay off these individuals to do their bidding instead of the bidding of the American people. Like, if you think the Constitution has anything to do with what we're living with in this world today, it is a, it's a scam. A sham, a scam. Um, the Matrix, they, they want you to see, but then they, they pick us off individually if we make too much of a problem for them. Continuing on, when a lawyer loses a criminal case, his clients usually end up behind bars. But when a doctor loses a patient, he is buried. The patient's buried. The doctor isn't. Excessive concerns with money available for their clients and patients. Many doctors and lawyers prey upon the fears of uneducated, misinformed, and gullible public. I guess I shouldn't wonder why it is that this was this was uh, glitched out of existence before. The Medicare and Medicaid programs have provided are proved to be a windfall for most doctors who can more easily collect for their services. In the year 1982, Medicare paid out 48 billion and Medicaid $38 billion. More than a decade later, it has reached unimaginable amounts, goodly portions of which are illegal and unreasonable profits for doctors. Mullins again reported, the New York Times reported that in 1985, the cost of health care per person in the United States was $1,800 per year, and in England it was $800 per year. In Japan, it was $600 per year, yet both England and Japan ranked higher on the scale of quality of medical care 
than in the United States. That's because they're all for profit in the United States. What is the $1,300 per person difference? It is the $300 billion per year looting of the American public by the medical monopoly in overcharges, criminal syndicate, I can't say that word. Let's see what the definition of this word is here. Maybe if we can define it. Okay, so let me see. Syndicate. Mm, That's not it. Huh, I'm not seeing a production. Syndicalism. Syndicalism, I guess. Uh, A moment, a movement for transferring the ownership or control of the means of production and distribution to workers' unions, influenced by Proudhon and by the French philosopher George Sorel from 1847 to 1922, uh, was developed in France by labor unions during the late 19th century and was the most vigorous between 1900 and 1914 particularly in France, Italy, Spain, and the U.S. So it's basically the means of moving or transferring ownership or control by means of production and distribution to workers' unions. Uh, Let's see. And the operation of the drug trust. I think what he's trying to say is that they're trying to move the means of control from from one group to another I don't know anyway that's in that same book book by murder and by injection page 12 we're at 94% and I have one minute until my family starts waking up so let me continue here The great drug cartels are guilty of three major criminal injustices upon the American people. Number one, they drain the wealth and the earnings of the public. Number two, they create a constant need for more drugs. And number three, their drug causes side effects and other related illnesses that can be fatal. The criminal... The criminals... And there's that word again that I don't know how to say that move the means of ownership. Whatever. Syndicalists are now looting the American nation of, of one trillion dollars each year, and of which about two are about one third more than three hundred billion dollars per year represents the profitable depredations of the drug trust and its medical subsidiaries. Before a sustained effort to combat these depredations can be mounted, Americans must take every effort to regain their health. America became the greatest and most productive nation in the world because we had the healthiest citizens in the world. 
when the Rockefeller Syndicate began its takeover of the medical profession in 1910, our citizens went into a sharp decline. Today, we suffer from a host of debilitating ailments, both mental and physical, nearly all of which can be traced directly to the operations of chemical and drug monopoly, and which pose the greatest threat to our continued existence as a nation. Murder by Injection, page 347 and 348. There are several other problem areas that should be discussed in learning more about the medical profession. Those briefly mentioned will be hospitals, drug fluoride, aluminum vaccinations, cancer operations, and chemical pollutants. So that's 100%. And now we have finished with that chapter and hopefully it gets to stay up this time and there's no glitch to take it out. But uh, as, as divisive as this particular chapter is, I might just have to, to do another one and say, hey, I've tried doing this one a couple of times. Here's the link to the book. Pages this through that. If you want to read it, you can go read it for yourself. Because, <laughs> you know, this is, this is damning stuff to get people to think about these things. They don't want you to think about these things. They want to to keep you distracted and a bunch of other stuff, and and take continue to take your money and your freedoms and pay off all of these senators and congressmen to do their bidding instead of the bidding of the American people. Like there's only one reason for the modern politician to go into politics especially at a federal level. They might say that they are going to affect change, but all they're doing is getting rich in government. You cannot get as rich as some of these people are getting on the incomes that they're paid through the treasury of the United States, through taxpayers. They are passing laws that they know will will benefit certain companies and they they will have the the uh, the goal to go in and invest and take op- options from these companies and then pass these laws and, and ride the wave that they create. It's disgusting. This country I, I love the values of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, but this country has become so, so wicked. So, so wicked. And we're ripe for destruction. This is supposed to be the promised land, and people who are not, who are not righteous will be wiped from the land. It's going to happen. Those are the promises that God has given. And we're past the point of no return. God has released his plagues upon this nation and the world. And those plagues start off as spiritual and mental plagues. And they turn into like physical plagues. 
Because the protection that God once had for this country is not here anymore. And even those who think that they're righteous are not as clean and pure as they think that they are. And individually we should and can repent. But as a nation, it's time to set the house in order. But we cannot do that. We cannot go up against the federal government and against the state governments. We are weak. So God is allowing this strong delusion to come upon the people so that they will destroy themselves. And that's why God is telling me to tell you, and he has been telling me to tell you for a while now, that we need to leave populated areas. That the gathering is in Emory County, Utah. And that when things get too dangerous because of the strong delusions, because of the violence that is coming, which will be the cleansing power to, to destroy or to cleanse this nation, God is going to allow this nation to be destroyed, but he wants his true righteous remnant the residue of the people to be led in the highways of the top of the mountains and into the desert places or place actually where we will remain a place of secret secrecy and safety where we will remain until they have destroyed themselves and we're not going to go in there like a cult that just wanders off before anything happens. God told me to remain here in Emory County where he is give basically given me this 10 acre farm to remain here until it is too dangerous even to remain here in the middle of Utah with in a county that has one one stoplight In a town that has one four-way stop. Out in the middle of nowhere. Like, I don't even live in, in a town. I live out in the country. And God told me to, to stay here until it's too dangerous to remain even here before... Before we go to this place that we're supposed to go to. Like these things that are happening in the world. We're watching these things happen. They're by design. They're actively trying to destroy this country. Biden yesterday said that he would like to see no more drilling in this country. Yet our gas prices are going up, and then he goes to Venezuela, our, our our enemy, to try to get oil for us. And he, he drains our strategic reserve, which is not meant for what he's draining it for. There's so much oil in the ground. 
like one of the jobs I'm as soon as I get my hazmat and I get my injection into my back and everything then I can I can work <laughs> I'm gonna go haul two loads of crude oil from from Uinta Basin to the rail yard in uh, Castle Country which is what we call the area that I live in it's Castle Country They just upped their production from 2,500 barrels a day to 4,000 barrels a day. And that's one company, the company I'm going to work for. And there is tons of companies out there hauling oil, crude oil, and condensate. And natural gas is coming out of the ground. We have so much oil in this country. It There's no reason why we should go overseas. But you know what? When Obama took office back in 2010 or whenever, 2008, let me think. Well, whenever it was. I can't remember. I think it was 2008. Like, most of the people lost their jobs in the oil industry. And he said that he was going to have our oil and natural gas shipped in from overseas, which creates more carbon footprint than actually just doing it here. You know, it's not about it's not about anything other than destroying this country, which is what they're doing. Anyway, I can hear my family getting up at 6, 10 a.m. So I need to stop recording and actually go help out with my family so uh that'll be a wrap on this podcast thank you for listening take care everyone god bless and goodbye